Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And you know, Julie, I used to, uh, or I still take some of these, uh, you know, sort of health um, health food store supplements for different things, you know. Yes, I've noticed. Uh, you, oh, you've noticed. Mm-hmm. My, uh, my, my large tray of, of Monday through through Friday and yeah. Yes, your medicine chest sitting yeah. on your on your desk. I, I've I've scaled down in in recent years, but uh, but I still take a few things uh, here and there, and and I tend to stick to the things I take because I feel like they're helping in some way, shape, or form. Like yeah. either it you know relaxes me when you know when I'm needing re- relaxation, or gives me a little uh, bit of increased uh, concentration, or, uh, or or energy, or or what have you, whatever the. The, the uh, desired result happens to be. But in the back of my mind, there's always the idea of the placebo effect. And I, I'm, I'm always find myself thinking, now, is this working or is this, or am I just paying, you know, whatever for, for, uh, you know, a fake little pill and it's, and it's all in my mind. And then if it is all in my mind, should I stop or should I keep going to get that placebo effect? Because at what point can you can you still get? I mean, you, if you explain away the the placebo, mm-hmm. then you can't fool your brain can't fool you into getting that effect, right? Yeah, I know, I know. And sometimes I mean, I've had the same thoughts before because I use essential oils sometimes, mm-hmm. mainly because they smell nice. But of course, they're supposed to be mood lifting. Yeah, and what all are that. what is essential about essential oils? Well, I mean, they're the the distilled um, oil of whatever that ah. thing is. So um, you so, know, sort of like Gelfling. Uh, Oil or whatever from the dark crystal when they would, uh, they'd... yes, yeah, sort of, except essence. for it's yeah. more like lavender. Oh, okay. So it's like a lavender Rosemary. plant condensed to oil. Yeah. Okay. And in grapefruit, that's a nice one too. Oh. And it, it, it does have like a sort of nice uplifting scent. Okay. But I have thought before, you know, am I just, is this sort of quackery? But at the end of the day, I don't really care because it smells good, right? And right. like if that's, if it's just all BS, but it just, but, you know, the, the underlying thing here is that my house is going to smell nice. Eh, what harm is it doing? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the whole thing about placebo, right, is we know a little bit about it, right? It, it makes us feel better in a medical sense. You know, you were talking about an inert pill that someone might take. Um, it's actually a measurable, observable felt improvement in your health and in your behavior. And um, and it has pretty wide-reaching uh, ramifications, as we're going to discuss in this in this uh, podcast episode. Yeah, it Like, does. it goes beyond just, you know, me shopping for vitamins or you, you know, getting the oil of a tree. So Yeah, it turns out the placebo effect is driving big pharmaceutical companies crazy, and like never before. And the, and the reason for that is because the placebo effect seems to be increasing in their clinical trials of new drugs. So they're sitting there saying, what was going on here? Like we used to be able to pass, you know, 19 out of 50 drugs through clinical trials. But now, and this is this is super crazy, half half of the medicines that are coming out of clinical trials are being discounted because of the placebo effect. Basically, when you go to these clinical trials, the medication has to go up against the placebo and test. Exactly. It's it's, I mean, it sounds really straightforward that. Hey, for this medication to to work, it needs to work better than fake medication, right? Um, because you have control groups in these. You'll have like Group A. Well, let's say you have a new a new drug that contains uh, I don't know um, 
I don't know, pecans in it or something. I don't know. It would just, I don't know, imagine some imaginary drug that comes from some plant in South America or something. The pecan drug. Yeah, something that is expensive to, to obtain, something that's costly, something that you know, may a lot of research has gone into. A lot of scientists have been hunched over labs and lots yeah. of money's gone into developing this pill. So you've got that and you give that to group A to treat their, I don't know, their hypertension. And then uh, group B gets this placebo, which is nothing. It's, it's, Made it's from, a pill. It's just a pill. It's like basically like a sugar pill. Yeah. And and it has no actual, there's nothing inside that pill that can actually help them. Right. But they're given it, and both groups think they're they're getting the pricey, uh, researched, possible new super drug to treat their hypertension. So you, and, and again, it sounds just overly simple, but you want group A, who's taking the real drug, to have better results than the group taking the... Sugar pill. Right. But it's not always the case. No. And, and, and unless you discuss, it's often a surprising amount of the time. It is not the case. No. And in fact, uh, with antidepressants in particular, mm-hmm. they're finding astounding results, which is that 75% of the drugs that are used in antidepressants are found to be effective, but also 75% of the placebos are also giving people relief. Mm-hmm. So that all of a sudden that, that puts the whole question of, about, um, medication into a new light and the approach to actually even testing them or even assessing depression yeah. and, and other disorders. Um, it's actually really blown open the whole placebo effect in general and made big pharma look at placebo in a new way because before it was sort of like, we just have to get over the placebo effect. Yeah, it's, it was, it's a problem. It was it's a the nuisance. boogeyman you had to beat. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, there's this great Wired article uh, it's called placebos are getting more effective. Drug makers are desperate to know why. And they actually call out the fact that, that this may be an opportunity to actually look at the amazing ability of the body to heal itself. Yeah, this is the article by uh, Wired's uh, Steve Silberman. Yeah. Uh, the B, Silberman. Silberman. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's pretty fascinating to look at the issue. And uh, I wanted just to, to give a little quick history of placebo, though. Oh, yeah. Now... We're only going, we're, we're going by Sieber's, uh, paper and going back to World War II, right? Yeah, World War II, basically you have, uh, you know, in Italy, there's, um, there's an anesthesiologist, I believe. Yeah, uh, by the name of Henry Beecher. Yeah, Henry Beecher. And he's attending uh, to U.S. troops under heavy German bombardment. Yep. And, uh, if, when you're t- treating catastrophic injuries, you need to have morphine on hand. Right. So they're it's pumping, helpful. yeah, they're pour- pumping morphine into these guys to, 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 to deaden the pain while they work on them. Right. And uh, they run out of morphine. Yeah. And a, a nurse, a very savvy nurse that was working with Henry Beecher, basically pretended that she, with a wounded soldier, was giving him an injection of morphine and said, I'm giving you a really potent painkiller. Don't worry, you'll be mm-hmm. fine. It was, in fact, only salt water. Um, but what Beecher observed is that the, the wounded soldier did not go into shock when uh, he had his procedure done and that the the wounded soldiers seemed to feel relief. So he saw firsthand the effects of the placebo effect. And later on, when he went back to Harvard after the war, he began to look at it more seriously um, and was now investigating the placebo effect against current day medications of that time to see if they were really effective. It was, it was an incredible new idea, actually. Yeah. In uh, 1955, he put out a paper called The Powerful Placebo, published in the Journal of American uh, Medical Association. And uh, it it undermined the results of more than a dozen trials by causing uh, improvement that uh, was mistakenly uh, 
you know, attributed to whatever yeah. the medicinal mm-hmm. properties were. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was, this was a, a huge moment in, in, in modern drugs because, because suddenly here's the placebo messing up everything that you're, you're trying to do, becoming this hurdle. And like you say, that's kind of the history of it. It becomes this hurdle when, uh, when perhaps they, sh- you know, that you could argue they should be looking at it and saying, well, why, why is the placebo working? As right. opposed to why, why are our drugs not working? Uh, better than the placebo. Yeah, and with Beecher, I mean, he was just trying to keep quackery at bay, right? Yeah. And he was basically just trying to to apply this. Um, he wasn't necessarily thinking that this was going to be taken up by Big Pharma, nor could he have ever predicted how big this industry would become. Yeah. Uh, and as you say, it would become this obstacle for them to to you know get over. Um. So there you go. That's the history of it, and that's why we have it, and we know that it's effective. Uh, but that being said, it's been a long time since we've revisited the placebo effect, and particularly in the light of antidepressants and stuff. Yeah. And we'll talk about a little bit about that later. And it still remains a, a, a fairly unknown quantity. I mean, it's it, scientists continue to try and understand it, but the placebo effect is is in many ways still a mystery. Yeah, and we do know a little bit more. But, I mean, the question is, what in the world is really going on yeah. in your body when it starts to actually heal itself and, and give you, albeit temporary relief, right? Like, placebo effect has its limits. It's not going mm-hmm. to cure a tumor. But um, if you've, say, like you have Parkinson's or um, sexual dysfunction or, um, sorry for you, and you have maybe depression or something along those lines, we know that those sort of disorders really respond well to placebo effect. So, um, it, and actually it was once thought that the placebo effect was a result of our own level of gullibility or even like a psychological trait that was related to neurosis. Yeah, or weakness of character kind of thing. Like, yeah. Give them anything. Yeah. They'll, they'll give them a sugar pill. They'll think they're, they're healed. But, but it seems more than that. Now, obviously, I mean, we can't go so far as to, you know, scientifically say, well, it's mind over matter. It's, it's anything you believe becomes real because that, I, they don't either that's not the case or no belief is really strong enough to 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 alter physical reality right but um but but something's happening but like, we see the belief system working in tandem with the body so yeah. uh enter dr fabrizio benedetti um and he actually calls the placebo effect the placebo response because of its self-healing and he calls it endogenous healthcare system um, after 15 years of research benedetti has mapped the biochemical reactions of the placebo effect and he's found that, uh, and this is again from the Wired article, quote, placebo-activated opioids not only relieve pain, they also modulate heart rate and respiration. The neurotransmitter dopamine, when released by the placebo treatment, helps improve motor function in Parkinson's patients. Uh, so it's mechanisms like this that can elevate mood, sharpen cognitive ability, alleviate digestive disorders. IBS is another one that uh, responds well to this, by the way. Relieve insomnia and limit the secretion of stress-related hormones like insulin and cortisol. So he's seeing this yeah. in action. Um, and again, we're talking about the placebo effect working in tandem with the mind. And what this is bearing out is that the mind is trying to anticipate the future. Right. It's just, okay. it's saying, OK, I'm going to take this pill. I've got this condition and, you know, I already know that um, I already know what to expect in terms of relief and even side effects. Right. Right. And so the mind is actually queuing itself up for this and releasing those opioids, which is amazing. Um, 
And actually, one of the biggest self-healing triggers is to witness someone else experiencing the benefits of a drug. Ah. So again, you get, you have this sort of conditioning response. Well, you're, you're engaging in this kind of so, this social activity of, of the, the doctor administering something that, that heals you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, there's a researcher, Ted Capuch, and he recruited volunteers suffering from IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. And they were put into three groups. One group just made a, a, an appointment for a treatment and mm-hmm. they found some relief just by the act of signing up for, for treatment. Oh, wow. The other group were given a placebo from a medical professional who did not engage with them at all. And then the third group were given the placebo, but the, the clinician actually engaged with that group quite a bit, talked to them about their suffering, talked about them, um, you know, how they felt about it and, and gave them some positive feedback. So again, here we go. Like you mentioned, there's, there's the social aspect to it. That group responded the best out of all three. So the bed, the bedside manner of the physician yeah. is, is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Steve Silberman also points out that, uh, the color of the pill even makes a difference. I know. This is, this is so true. Like, um, yellow pills, uh, make, make the be- the most effective antidepressants. Red pills give you a, a kick, you know, cause it's red, like the, the blood of a bull or something. Right. Adrenaline. Yeah. Uh, green reduces anxiety. You know, green is kind of calming. Um, and, uh, and, and and they say that even like branding, you know, becomes involved in it. Like yeah. it's all in the, the packaging and the delivery. And I mean, the color thing just makes me think, you know, it's just some, you know, it's like a sufficiently, um, a sufficiently, um, believable physician could just walk into a, um, a sick ward with like a bag of Starbursts and just start <laughs> healing people left and right. Yeah. If you had the association that mm-hmm. Starbursts were going to make everything better, like, you know, if maybe Starbursts had spent $100 million on a campaign trying to link, uh, some sort of benefit between the consumption of the, the chewy stuff stuck in your teeth and your health. Um, one of the other things too that was interesting is that it's cultural. These perceptions are cultural. Oh yeah. Like there are the, uh, the Germans, right? Well, not only the Germans, but the Italians, because you, you were talking about the blue pills and the mm-hmm. red pills. And so of course the blue pills was supposed to be soothing, right? And the, the red pill again is more of an aggressive thing, but in Italy, the, color of the national soccer team is blue. So oh. that's perceived as aggressive in oh, that culture. Wow. Yeah. Huh. So it comes down, you know, to that level. It's really interesting. That is fascinating. Like, I wonder how that affects like even like international branding, you know? Oh yeah. You know, if you have, uh, you have branding for, for something that's, that you, you want the uh, consumer to, uh, to think of it in relaxed terms or soothing terms. And then in, in Italy, you have the angry blue and the, you know, the, the victorious soccer team, uh, they get them all riled up. Yeah, yeah, and you have to wonder how that extends, like, if throughout their society, like, yeah. you know, if they've if their apartments are all in blue, if that's not like, wow, that's like a really aggressive bachelor. <laughs> but the Germans, in particular, uh, anthro anthropologist Daniel uh, Mormon uh, did a study, and he found that Germans uh, are high placebo reactors in trials of ulcer drugs. Yeah, but low in trials of drugs for hypertension, uh, because hypertension is an undertreated condition in Germany. So, um, uh, so again, it's about engaging in this, in this, uh, this social maze that comes with the treatment of an, of an illness, being, being aware of its treatment, seeing, um, success stories either yeah. in your life or in the media. Like a lot of it, like, you know, if, when you think of like anxiety or depression medications, instantly we think of those commercials. 
where, or I guess it's also even for things like herpes and stuff, but it's like, you know, some smiling person walking through a field and they're happy and they're, they're running and birds are singing. Yeah. And it is just driving home, take this and be happy. And you will be able to go outdoors and frolic. I mean, that's usually the message. Oh, and you'll, you know, you'll be surrounded by a bunch of people who love you. Yeah. It's kind of the same as a Mentos commercial, except they have to add a lot of legal text at the end. Like Mentos doesn't have to have that, that half a screen of fine. Yeah. There's, there's no talk of diarrhea in a Mentos commercial, thankfully. Um, but the, the German example, that is really interesting. Like I, that makes me think, is it, um, again, is it sort of like this, uh, anticipation? Like they, because it is underreported, um, what was that hypertension that's yeah. underreported? It's not as big of a deal, maybe, and they're not as conditioned to to think as much of it. Is that perhaps? I think so. Yeah, like it's undertreated. Like it's just not on people's minds as much. Yeah. Um, wh- whereas you know something like like depression is very much on everybody's minds. Everybody right. like we just have this this uh, almost like this cult of the 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 quest for happiness that has been uh, pressed upon us through. Uh, uh, mass media and through, you know, everybody knows somebody who takes the, takes something to uh, improve their, their daily life, whether, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, prescribed medication or just some sort of weird, uh, you know, herbal thing that they buy from the health food store. Yeah, it's true. And just, just to put that in perspective with the statistic, uh, let me see, in 1996, there were 13 million antidepressants doled out and that has since doubled to 26 million by 2007. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, and, you know, we, we all know that that's something that everyone is apt to grapple with at some point. We have plenty of statistics that tell us that, you know, each of us is going to at some point feel maybe acute depression. So it's not surprising that it's on our minds. Um, but again, you know, getting, getting back to the placebo effect and why it may be getting stronger and going back to the commercials that you were talking about, that actually seems to be one of the culprits of why the placebo effect, why people in clinical trials are feeling this conditioning to to get better or are actually self-healing. Um, they think that the marketing has just been so great and so rampant that it's really conditioning people to already get in that mindset. Wow. And we already have studies that say that when people make an appointment to even do this, they feel better. So that's, that's one area of it. Uh, and then another aspect is that... Uh, the way that they're classifying an illness or a disorder, this is sort of interesting in talking about depression in particular. There's something called the Hamilton Depression Rating Scale, and that was created 50 years ago. And it's based on a study of um, uh, major depressive disorder in patients in an asylum. Okay, okay, so you can already tell that there are problems with this scale anyway, because 50 years ago, when we had a different idea of what depression was mm-hmm. in an asylum. Right. <laughs> A small sample group. Um, so there, there are people today that are saying maybe we shouldn't take this scale and use it, particularly for um, disorders that have to do with depression, and revisit this. And, and maybe we'll get a better idea of what the placebo effect is doing if we can redefine what depression is. Sort of an interesting way of looking at it. Um, now, there are a couple of other uh, uh, related uh This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of tomorrow. Topics on placebo that uh, that are pretty fascinating. One that uh, I ran across, and uh, I imagine you did as well. It's the honest placebo. And this I is haven't kinda, heard about that. Well, this is kind of like what I was talking earlier. If I, you know, if I, I have this, say, I, you know, I have some sort of uh, herbal thing I buy from the health food store, yeah. you know, and I don't 
know for certain that it's working, but I don't know that it's not working. But if I knew for a fact that it was just a sugar pill, Mm -hmm. would it still work on me? Well, this is called an honest placebo. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is, uh, doctors, uh, in, involved in, in this think that the placebos work because patients think they might be getting an active drug, but there's an element of deception. Uh, or I mean, that's the, the old version, you know, it's like, right. there's the deception at work that I think this is going to work. So it does, even if it's a sugar pill, right? But in 2010, Harvard researchers found that even when volunteers with severe bowel disease know they're getting a placebo, 59% had relief in the symptoms. Um, which which is, is is pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Again, it's that whole idea of like why aren't we studying what's going on with the body when it's trying to self-heal? And then it brings up the question of do you, we mu- must we always have deception? Yeah. You know, is there is there any way to to have the placebo response without some sort of, you know, curtain you know, behind our understanding of what's going on. Well, the, it seems like one way that it might is like even in listening to this podcast or even in researching this podcast, we get this idea that, ooh, there's, um, in, I mean, I hate to mystify it at all, but you kind of get this mystic idea of, oh, what is a placebo doing? Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, what is my mind doing when I take a placebo? And then it becomes this possible, it, that you get this possible uh, expectation in your mind that, even if you take something that doesn't work, that it might work, you know, like like that becomes the new placebo, the new fiction for the placebo to work within. But see, that's why I think it's so fascinating, because I think that, you know, in an evolutionary sense, have we always had to construct some sort of fiction in order to pull through? Do you know what I'm saying? Is this is it something that's it's interesting that comes out of evolution? I think. Well, interestingly, you should ask that because uh, there is. A guy by the name of Matt uh, Rossano, who's professor of psychology at Southeastern Louisiana University. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a book called Supernatural Selection, How Religion Evolved. And this is basically his argument. All right. Um, first, he says that our ancestors developed complex social structures to cope with a harsh, unforgiving world. You know, it's there. Uh, giant mammals everywhere eating everything. I right. have to work really hard to scrape by and then I'm going to die when I'm really young, probably eaten by a large mammal. Uh, it's, it's a rough world. So you end <laughs> right. up, you, you end up with, uh, this, this social structure emerges, um, and, uh, and you end up with the hierarchy in the group. And, uh, and there's some, probably some sense of peace or some structure there right. that makes you feel better about the world. Right. But you end up with this social structure. And so you're going to need, uh, people with, with more memory are going to be able to better navigate it. You're going to need a knack for symbolic thought to, uh, mm. to move through it. So nature, begin selecting for imaginative children. The imaginative children are by natural selection are the ones that end up surviving because they have better they're better suited to navigate these complex social relationships as adults. And since the more imaginative children are the ones that survive, they end up bringing this imagination into their adulthood and this mm-hmm. births gods and spirits. So, uh Rosano states that early religion was uh, was shamanistic, you know, it's like, you know, guys saying, "Oh, you got a headache here, suck on this frog." Uh, your belly's uh, you know, bothering you well, draw this on your stomach and set on the stone. You know, things right. of that nature. Uh, thrown in with some, you know, not to say that all ancient uh, or traditional medicines are phony. There are, no, there's some medicinal yeah. plants that we know that are used in yeah, but, ancient uh, medicines. But still, humans, uh, the, the, he, he argues that, that basically they had a healthcare system of ritual healing practices, mm-hmm. you know, some which may have worked and some that didn't, but there was no real way to tell in those days, right? Uh, but humans who participated in healing rituals were healthier thanks to the placebo effect and more likely to procreate. 
keeping the religion's evolutionary march in motion. See, that's interesting because I read, too, that the placebo, again, it's highly effective for disorders that engage the higher cortical centers that generate beliefs and expectations. Mm -hmm. They interpret social cues and anticipate awards. And again, this is chronic pain, sexual dysfunction, Parkinson's and depression, for example, that really respond well to this. But okay, but what if I'm kind of a hypochondriac? What if I what if I am kind of a worrier? What happens then? I uh, I don't know. I guess you kind of get maybe you just get like, uh, like what if, what if I read on the, the uh, placebo effect, yeah. right? But but what if what if I just can't help but focus on those list of side effects? That, uh, that half right, page of, of right, side right. effects. Then you're going to fall prey to something called the nocebo effect. The nocebo effect. Yeah, and it's the which the, we're not making up. That's not even that's, like, that's no. actual Latin. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What was Latin for again? Um, I, if I'm remembering correctly, it's like, um, something like to do like harm to do or something. Harm. Yeah. Yeah. And placebo is Latin for to please, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but nocebo effect is, is basically like the, the dark side of placebo effect. So think of it. If you are anticipating getting better mm-hmm. and getting relief, but you're told that the drug that you are given is going to have side effects and you're going to vomit and you may have erectile dysfunction, guess what you're going to be doing? Uh, vomiting and having erectile dysfunction. Yes, exactly. Yes. Uh, so that that's difficult, right? And that's particularly difficult in terms of, I guess you could even say ethics, if you're dealing with someone who is seriously sick. Um, and I don't know if they do this with cancer treatments. I imagine that they probably do because they need to test it, right? Yeah, you have to, so, you have to test it. And you need a control group. Yeah, you need a control group. And if you're in that control group and you're getting the placebo and you're awfully sick already, and then on top of that, you're getting other side effects, that that's where some doctors are saying, okay, that's that's not very cool. I mean, we do need to have the control group and we do need to study this. But, you know, it is obviously the dark side of the placebo effect. Uh, there were some doctors that, like early on, they thought that, uh, that the uh, – that this was caused uh, because people were worrying as they're taking the medicine, mm-hmm. and so their stomach's releasing uh, um, enough acids to cause pain. Right. But um, but but they but they they found that the uh, the range of possible um, nocebo responses uh, stretch far beyond mere stomach aches. And uh, what's more, they found that the the, the these uh, nocebo effects weren't random. They tend to be specific to the type of drug that patients believe they're taking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because, again, so, it's, it's lining up with a group, uh, I mean, with a list of possible side effects. Yeah, I mean, imagine watching that commercial. I mean, we all know them, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it seems like that endless list that goes on forever and ever. Blurred vision. Yeah. Wacky thoughts. <laughs> um, You know, you are going to take all of that information. Your brain's going to absorb it. And just like your body can heal on its own with the placebo effect, it's going to say, okay, guys, buckle up. It's going to be a rough ride. Wacky yeah. thoughts ahead. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of nuts to think of it that way. Um, but I also wanted to talk a little bit too. I mean, we've, we've talked about the placebo effect and how cool this is. And, and obviously it bears so much more studying, but this, you know, I just need to caution that this is not a reason to actually quit your meds. Right. Uh, you know, um, this is not anything that we're advocating. It's just an interesting paradigm shift on medication and on the placebo effect and looking at that a little bit closer. Um, so just wanted to add that because obviously if you were to, especially with antidepressants, if you were to get off of them, you'd have horrible withdrawal symptoms. Also, each person is unique to their medication and to their condition. So uh, there you go again. Yeah. Don't stop your, your medication. Don't, don't, your don't, don't make any medical decisions based on what you hear in this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you should always consult with your doctor. Yes. Speaking of whom, um, 
you know, perhaps this isn't the best place to throw this information out, but I did want to mention that how widespread placebo effect is. And this is from one study, and albeit it's one study, it's in Chicago uh, from 2007. There were doctors that were surveyed there, and they were asked about whether or not they had ever prescribed the placebo effect, uh, or or rather, I, I should say, had they ever prescribed something that they knew wasn't necessarily going to work for their patient, mm-hmm. or it was at such a low-level dosage that it wouldn't do anything in order to induce the placebo effect? Half of those doctors... Wow. Had done that. Now they didn't actually write placebo on the, the slip. <laughs> no, like, Here no. you go. Yeah, yeah. Fake pills, I think, is what they, what they wrote. Uh, uh, my, um, uh, my mother-in-law, uh, frequently, uh, uses, uh, the placebo effect on, um, uh, my brother-in-law's kids. Uh, they'll help complain. They're kids, you know, they're kids, so they're always complaining yeah. of something. And she'll get like, uh, like gummy vitamins. Oh. And so it's like, oh, you, oh, you, oh, you've got a stomachache. Oh, your, your head hurts. Here, take one of these. And it works. Like, huh. like a charm. They're just gummy vitamins. That's, uh, I will have to put that in my back pocket yeah. for my two-year-old. They'll be very warm if you keep them in your back pocket, though. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah that's nice. Yeah. The kids like, like a good warm gummy bear. <laughs> okay. Maybe not. Um, but, you know, here we go. I mean, that's, that's, this is just an interesting time to, to look at this information. Oh, and I wanted to also mention, too, that drug companies are paying, as I said, huge attention to this right now. And typically they have been really, um, covert about, their operations and they haven't let a lot of their data out of the bag, so mm-hmm. to speak, but they actually are pooling together and trying to get a study of the placebo effect and, and pooling their research, all the drug companies, which is pretty interesting. And I believe the NIH is also heading this up. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see in the next couple of years, what sort of data they get out of this. Yeah. And also, uh, th- I mean, we're talking about a lot of money. Yeah, we're talking about a lot of money. This. And they also know that, that some of their, their, Big marquee sellers like Prozac mm-hmm. may not actually cut the muster these days if they were to, because they, they actually, uh, retrialed some of these just for, for fun and noticed that the Prozac is actually not as effective as it was once deemed. And again, this could be because the placebo effect is, uh, becoming more rampant in trials. But huh. there you go. Don't get off the Prozac though. Yeah. Stay on it if, if you're on it. But yeah. again, check with your doctor. Absolutely. Well, hey, uh, we have uh, some interesting feedback here from some from some uh, listeners. Our first uh, bit of mail comes from Oladeli, um, one of our listeners. Uh, Oladeli writes, "Hi, listen to your podcast where you talk about the robot singularity and how this creepy one and this creepy one about cyber immortality." So it gets one thinking: What if my memories, representing past actions and experiences, and and Myers Briggs profiles used to generate new actions and experiences, were mapped to a robot's sensory inactions? system. So sure, uh, surely buried deep in all that information and blueprint for future actions, the robot could act independently. I reckon it could sort of understand and hence work towards my goals and play out a version of me which would be based on me, but different from me, independently of me. Could it then comp- uh, compete with me for my friend's attention or be jealous of me if I got to know if it got to know me, or would I be jealous of it? Would that be considered singularity of some sort? I don't know. That's interesting. I mean, you know that there is, there's been an intranet created for robots, right? Yep. And if you splice the uh, singularity with that, then you could very well have your robot self hacking your Facebook account and taking you over. You're right. Wow. And your cyber presence. Suddenly liking things you don't like, like going off on its own. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Kind of trolling you. Um, I mean, I kind of jest, but I mean, just to extend out that logic, it's kind of interesting about what... Uh, 
how all those parts might work together. Yeah, some good uh, good brain fodder there. And uh, speaking of the Cyber Immortality podcast, we received a lot of uh, cool comments uh, from folks who really dug that. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we can't read them all, but uh, I have a bit here from a listener by the name of Crystal. And Crystal relates that she'd lost a, a friend. And uh, and then goes on to add, uh, since that point, I have not been able to check my voicemails because my inbox is literally full of messages from this individual, uh, built up about a week while my phone was uh, out of minutes. This has really been bothering me lately, and then I listened to the Cyber Immortality podcast. It gave me a whole new perspective on the digital bit of information I, I have of this individual. I am happy to report my inbox is now empty. Uh, well, I saved a few of them, and I have you guys to thank for it. Thanks a lot. By, by the way, don't... Oh wait, uh, then she had something else. But anyway, that's the, the the key bit that I thought was was really interesting. That uh, that uh, you know, obviously, a lot of people are are having to uh, take the the digital realm into account when yeah. dealing with uh, with the deaths of friends and loved ones these days. And uh, uh, it, it was really interesting to hear some tidbits from a few different listeners about this. Yeah, uh, we did. We had some some really nice email about that, and and people who had um, like Crystal talked about. Um, Ways that they were revisiting actually people they had lost online. So yeah, it's very interesting stuff. And uh, if you have any cool feedback to give us, um, if you have some interesting stories about your own experiences with placebos, for instance, uh, we would love to hear about them, or your own thoughts on placebos, or if you're a doctor of any kind or uh, you know engaged in the medical uh, industry uh, or the uh, pharmaceutical drug industry, uh, let us know. Shoot us a shoot us an email or. or uh, find us on Facebook or Twitter. We blow the mind on both of those. Yep, and, and again, if you're a big pharma, you can <laughs> you can always rant uh, to us. Uh, blow the mind at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. <laughs>